Welcome to something positive for positive people and positively positive podcast crossover episode. Ah! <laughs> How long has this been like? I don't know. I guess we've not really talked about it. You've interviewed me on your show. And for me, I know that um, content crossover, I guess, didn't really apply. So that was why I never really wanted to reach out about interviewing you sooner because we basically do the same thing. I know it's not exact, but it's pretty much the same thing. Like we're two people who host podcasts about herpes, right? Yeah. So um, now that you have taken a little bit of a step back, first off, let me introduce you for people who may not know you. This is Sarah, the host of Positively Positive Podcast, and she and I connected. Ah, I need to ask people their pronouns. What are your pronouns? She, her. All right. Thank you. I want to. Your make... majesty will work as well. But... <laughs> your highness. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh yeah, I want to get into the practice of making sure that I ask that as well, just to uh, offer space for anyone who may not um, present in the way that they identify, or I may not receive their presentation in the way that they identify. I hope I said that right. See, and that's why I told you I don't edit these so that people can <laughs> get their own like stumbling in their head and recognize, oh, it's okay for me to mess up. As long as I acknowledge it. All right. You host a podcast. Hosted a podcast. Are we done? Uh, I still have like a couple ideas. But as far as like the herpes specific content, I always only wanted that to be one season. And then when I did move into season two, which is when you came on, we started branching out a little bit. So I have a couple more ideas that I want to cover. I don't know when I'm going to do that, but as far as it being strictly herpes, I have said what I had to say. I stand by every single thing I said. I am proud of the research. And that, like at the end of the day, it's herpes. Like, I don't want you to harp on it. And if I harped on it, that would be against my own message. Yeah. Come get what you need and leave. Is that a consistent message? Yes, always. My always was like, okay, process it, feel it, do not deny what you're feeling. And then, like, give yourself space, step back, do not consume Herbie's content all day, every day, you'll go mad, and then just go live. And everything that you consume so quickly, because we all do it, it will sink in. Just give yourself time and go live your fucking life. Is that what you did after your diagnosis? Did you become consumed in consuming content? Yeah, the first couple months, especially. But I couldn't find the content that I wanted that first, um, the first few weeks and the first month, I couldn't find the content I wanted, which is why I made my own. Um, and I didn't find the Instagram community until like, I had released half of my podcast. And then I was like, Oh, my God, there are chill people out here. So yeah, I don't know, it might have been different if I'd found the Instagram community sooner. I'm not sure. I never even thought to look on Instagram, though. Yeah, who would think to do that, though? Like, we're literally everywhere. People who have herpes are in corporate settings, in politics, in uh, Hollywood, in sports. All of these spaces that we just wouldn't think to ever look or we wouldn't think to have any kind of representation. And in doing the research or in me doing these podcast interviews, I'm learning that there are so many identities that 
uh, are out there of people who are living with herpes and we just wouldn't know if we didn't put ourselves out there in order to be met with or seen by these people in order to be able to connect. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, I think it's just like we can pinpoint every identity and representation we want, but at the end of the day, like, it's humans. Like, humans get herpes. It's fine. Like, it is what it is. Like, yeah, sometimes I think even going, like, so, so deep into, like, oh, I don't know what I'm trying to say, actually, but just, like, looking at every microscopic detail sometimes like actually takes you out of reality it's like step back look at the big picture this is one thing this is one part of your life like just learn and then take a step back Mm -hmm. every kind of person has herpes yes now i want to know who should go and listen to your podcast People who are newly diagnosed, because I know how hard it is to find, like, specific answers to all the questions we all ask in the beginning, because we all ask the same ones. So every episode is, like, one question. I answer it, I explain it so that, like, a child could understand, and it's clear. At least that was my mission. I've been told it's successful. Um, So, yeah, and also, like, I've... I had, okay, this is actually, I don't think I've talked about this, but when I started, I hadn't found very many, like, advocates or whatever, and I hadn't talked about it publicly. So I had no outside influence. I did not give a shit what anyone thought because I didn't know there was anyone to have an opinion. So I think that's why it was so, why I'm so proud of it is because there were no outside opinions. It was just me and I didn't give a fuck. I was so raw and real. And I was like, I'm pretty sure people will listen to this because I see in the support groups that I am in, but I had no outside opinion. Like I wasn't scared of anyone's judgment. I wasn't scared of other advocates being like, Oh, she's doing it this way or she's doing it that way. So I just think that lack of outside opinion really made it real and vulnerable. And when I listen back to it, I'm like, yeah, that's me. Like, that is me. And I think that's what that's what I wanted. I wanted a friend. I wanted someone honest and blunt and vulnerable. Yeah. You mentioned that outside influence piece, and I'm curious to know what your experience has been. Have you gotten criticism for the way you present information or the information that you present? Um, Other than, like, technical things, I actually, I mean not to my face or not to my direct DMs. So I, I don't know, I guess is the honest answer to that because every thing I've gotten from people who listen has been positive, but I like, even on my Instagram account, I'm definitely more conscious than I was when I was creating the podcast because now I'm like, Oh, what if so-and-so sees this? How should I word this? Oh, am I doing this? Am I doing that? Like, is this inclusive enough? Is this this enough? Um, So I'm definitely more um, aware of how I present things on Instagram now than I was in the beginning, for sure. I'm not saying that's necessarily a bad thing, um, but yeah. Now, my next question for you is who does find your content and reach out to you? 
Um, yeah, mostly new people, but actually the, the ones that like not mean a lot, but just mean something in a different way are people who are like, I've had this for five years. I've had this for 10 years. Holy shit. How did you process that much information in two months? Like I didn't have, I wish I processed that 10 years ago. You're so right. You're so this, and I don't want to sound like I'm tooting my own horn. Cause I definitely did have, you know, the, the Facebook groups that while I do have qualms with them, they did help me. Absolutely. And I'll never deny that. And I did have, you know, one person in particular that was like my herpes mom in the beginning. And yeah, she was amazing. So I did have help, but I actually, a friend that I, I know in person and I've known her for years ever like so much stuff about her made sense when she told me that she had herpes and I was like oh my god um but oh god I just lost my train of thought what was I saying oh yeah she never looked for support because I asked her I'm like in the beginning like how did you find support she's like I didn't my doctor told me this gave me this bullshit piece of paper and that's what it was so like you have to ask for help you have to look for help and it makes me really sad that not everyone does that. And, I, you know, everyone comes from a different background. It might not be your first instinct to ask for help. And I, I get that. But we have to ask for help. I did. I absolutely did. And, I'm, yeah, I think everyone needs to look for help because it's out there in the Internet age. It is out there. There is a group for every single thing you can think of. When you say things made sense after she told you that she had herpes, first off, are you able to speak a little bit more to this and just be as general or vague as possible? Because I think I know what you are getting at, and I want to make sure that I'm hearing it from you before I like add to it or uh, inject my own lived experiences around people who uh, might or do have herpes, and then later you're kind of like, oh, I knew it. it had to be this. Yeah, I had no idea. Basically, it's just about um, toxic and abusive relationships and the way I saw this person functioning in life. Um, And then when I found out years later that all these years when I saw all that stuff happening in their life from an outside perspective, I'm like, this makes fucking sense. Oh, my God, I wish I had told you sooner. Um, but they, they'd had it before me even, but yeah, just staying in situations that are really, really bad because you're scared of going out into the dating world again. You're scared of, you know, people thinking something about you because you have an STI. And so that's why, like, I love what you do and what so many people are doing is like talking about it because if we talk about it, less people will stay in those horrific situations, hopefully. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that is what I was hoping that you were going to say. I mean, I hate that I said I hope you were going to say that. Like, I don't wish an abusive relationship on anyone. But that is something worth speaking to in that we, as people who have herpes, at least in the beginning or over time after being beat down by bad disclosures or poor experiences with stigma, begin to sort of settle into this reality that is created for us in a sense of just stigma, like telling us our value is significantly lower. We need to take what we can get. Uh, Well, at least this person is here. Like you shouldn't settle for somebody that's just there uh, and put so much weight into your herpes diagnosis 
over incompatibilities because those incompatibilities that you have are going to make the herpes completely irrelevant. You know, like your friend who I imagine stayed in that relationship for that reason. This was such an insecurity for them that it was just like something that they didn't have to worry about anymore and they got a chance to avoid it by being in this relationship because with a herpes diagnosis, the biggest fear is that no one's gonna wanna be with me, no one's gonna wanna have sex with me, no one's gonna love me. And then when you find someone who is just there, like a body there, regardless of how they treat you, you feel as if all of those anxieties around your diagnosis are alleviated, no matter what the cost is. And also, when you haven't reached out for help, maybe your doctor wasn't super helpful or didn't have any resources, that other person is the only source of information you have. And when they don't have a healthy relationship with it, and they're your only like input source, how, how are you supposed to get out of it? When they're so you know, internally fucked up about it, and then they're pushing that on you and you're like, well, now I have to stay because it's such a horrible thing. They they even say it's a horrible thing and now we have to be together. And I know several people like this in real life and it's like oftentimes it's friends of friends and I'm just like, please, if they need to go for a walk with me, if they need to like meet me in person, like, please, like send them my shit. But also like I'm here for them because I don't want anyone to be in that situation and I you know I think the year last like two years like my empathy levels have just gone through the roof and sometimes I'm like I can't function because I'm just crying all the time out of empathy but like I do feel for those people that are that are the toxic partner because you obviously didn't have tools you obviously haven't reached out for help like oh, it's just such a vicious circle. And people are like, oh, they're an asshole. They're this, they're that. Absolutely true. They are. But also, like, someone needs to help them too. Like, hurt people hurt people, you know? I very much appreciate your sharing that and just the empathy and compassion that you have, not only for the people who have herpes because you can relate, but also the people who are... Uh, struggling with the challenges of their mental health and a lot of times it's just things that we don't know like we often just don't know what we need and it's not brought into our perspective until there's an outside influence that just kind of brings us into that space of awareness and this is a really good point now to transition uh, away from exclusively herpes, but to talk about just sex and in the relation of how we look at sex and how we look at mental health, because I believe that these two things are so interconnected that I say sexual health is mental health. And I'm curious from your lived experience and uh, your personal life before your podcast and now having hosted the podcast and been in this space of sex education advocacy at the very least, and then coming out of that, what do you think of that statement that sexual health is mental health? I think I would say sexual health is an aspect of mental health. And I like that you're talking about this so much because we always think about mental health, which is amazing, as like anxiety and depression or personality disorders. 
um, all of which are very real things. I'm so happy we're, we're talking about them in society. But yeah, sexual health is definitely a part of mental health, especially because like anyone who's been diagnosed with an SCI will realize as soon as you get that diagnosis, your whole sense of yourself like is just trashed. Um, and that's in your head. That's mental health, your self-image, your body image, how you view yourself as a sexual being. And if that's all you view yourself as, like, I didn't think that I just viewed myself as a sexual being. Yeah, I knew it was part of me, but I didn't realize how big that part of me was until I felt like it was taken away. Um, and then so when you build that back up, it's like, yeah, like, confidence and sexuality and being able to communicate I think I don't know if I know how to articulate it very well but like being able to communicate and mental health and being able to regulate your emotions are so intertwined Mm -hmm. Um, I think you kind of just said it there you mentioned uh, like these aspects of uh, like confidence if you will I believe that sexual health and mental health or if you look at your sexuality and your identity from a sexual perspective and then you look at like your behaviors let's let's say behaviors uh how intertwined these two things can be on one hand you have um i was ah when you coughed that threw me off i was gonna be like are you okay (laughs) but that was such a quiet cough i don't know how you did that i know i put the microphone away i'm a professional (laughs) but uh what i was uh making an attempt to get at here was uh that these are both very vulnerable things your sexual identity is a very physical aspect of being right and it kind of demonstrates how you show up in your intimate relationships i mean maybe even friendships like are you able to have these uh sensual connections and relationships with other people how are you around intimacy how are you around shaking hands or hugging or holding space for someone and then when we look at the mental health aspect of it it's about being vulnerable hey i'm dealing with this thing i'm struggling hey i'm here for you i can hold space for you and even with the positives like being able to uh hold space for someone in a celebratory space without you being like oh well I wish that was me or being any sort of jealous or envious or putting someone down who just wants to celebrate something with you so in that sense when you speak to confidence what comes to mind for me is vulnerability being able to not necessarily embrace an insecurity such as an invalidation of your sexual self or your mental emotional self but more so vulnerability Uh, in a way of just being aware and then able to and willing to communicate this to other people and where herpes specifically or a shift in someone's uh, sexual health status causes a shift in identity and there's an essential need for connectedness and validation of that identity that can only be brought about through communicating the struggles the challenges and being vulnerable in a safe space where someone just sees you as you are all of that said is that something that you uh, have seen or something that you can relate to at all um that 
was a lot. <laughs> Sorry, what are you specifically asking yeah, me? Yeah, so what I'm specifically asking is um, really about the vulnerability piece of your sexual health and your mental health. How vulnerability is the connecting factor here. Yeah, absolutely. And I think what goes hand in hand with vulnerability is resilience and i know people think that word is overused right now but it's like i am being vulnerable is hard it is but i'm also very aware that if i'm never vulnerable i'm never gonna get the rewards that vulnerability reaps and i want those rewards um and i also have 100 percent faith in my own resilience I know that if I go through something and it sucks and it's fucking awful, I know that I'm not going to die. I know that I'm going to be able to move forward. Now, granted, I have really strong friendships. I've got a good relationship with my mom. You know, I've got a job that I like. I have all these things that that support me outside of, um, you know, my sexuality and stuff, especially like when it comes to sexual rejection, like, does it suck? Do I cry? Yeah. But I also know that I'm gonna be okay. And I think, you know, not that I want to bring it super back to herpes, but like, we're so scared of rejection. And it's like, rejection happens. And it does not kill you. Like, it's okay, you can cry, and then you can move forward. There's what 9 billion people here. Um, and I think something that I, I said to you over, and I don't know if I'm going way off topic now, but something that I've said to you over um, me- messages that I think, I, I don't know if it's unique, because I think everyone can do this, but like I work in arts and entertainment, and since I was 17 years old, which is when I entered college, I was told from day one, like, you're going to fail, you're going to be rejected. And things will change. And that those messages were just hammered into my head. Really, you know, positive, uplifting messages. And I genuinely think, like, working in the arts for so long has made me resilient to rejection. I've been rejected a billion times. Even when I've been the best person for the job in the room or the most skilled at this specific thing or had the best, you know, look for whatever they were doing, I've been rejected. So when I think, oh, my God, this person is perfect, we'd be perfect partners, and they reject me, I'm like, fuck. But also, I know that rejection happens, and you just have to move on. you got to keep going. It's like when you audition, they say, like, put all your heart into it, put your soul into it, and then when it's done, you're done. It's gone forever. So that's how I treat, like, because I have been rejected um, for herpes, that's how I treat it. I'm like, okay, well, it's done, gone, next. Where's my next script? Where's my next boy? You know? (laughs) Like, so, yeah, I think that's something that people, you know, I I hope that we can remind people that, like, rejection doesn't kill you. It's okay. And we have to be okay with failure. We really do. Uh, Otherwise, you're, like, nothing cool and deep is ever going to happen. Like, fuck them if they reject you for herpes fine like let's go next you you're making me feel so good about myself with this interview because this is my second time interviewing anyone 
since the hiatus. Um, I believe my last recording was in June or July. So it's been a good four or five months since recording and you you killing this shit. <laughs> so thank you. Uh, I am curious about your uh, experience with rejection since being out and open about um, having something positively or I'm sorry, I always do that too. <laughs> having positively positive podcasts. Has that influenced the way that you disclose? Has that influenced how you feel uh, having experienced rejection? Let's talk about that. Yeah, that is such an interesting question. Has that influenced the way you disclose? Yes, it has. <laughs> um, because now and you know, at the beginning, it definitely didn't start as this, but it has become this where it's like, I'm not just disclosing that I have an STI. I'm also being like, hey, I have an STI and I talk about it online. Um, I'm really educated on it. I'm basically the expert. So, you know, that's who I am. And you can take it or leave it if you ask me questions. So it Sometimes I feel like it's padding for my disclosure, like in a good way. And I know not everyone has that. So it's a little weird, but also I feel like it does give me strength because it's like, and just not that anyone has ever even thought about doing this, at least to my knowledge, but that's always that piece of stigma in our head that makes us think people are going to use it against us. It's like, and by the way, you can't use it against me because the whole internet already knows. (laughs) Yeah, so, that eight mile effect. Yeah. So, but also I'm proud of it. And people, you know, have interesting reactions, but most of the time, and the guys that I have ended up, you know, uh, going out with, you know, more than once or twice have been like, oh, yeah, that's really cool. Okay. Like, well, if I have questions, I know where to go. And you seem cool and chill with it. So cool. There was one time where someone did ask me, they're like, do you like put pictures of yourself with it? And I'm like, yeah, like they're out there. Wait, wait, whoa, 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 whoa. Pictures, pictures of yourself with your podcast or with an outbreak? Yeah, just like with the whole platform. Yeah, no, no, not with an outbreak. That's, you know, some people do it. It's a little bit too much for me. I am, you know, a shocker. I actually am a private person. Um, I don't need that much visually to be out there it's out there like i tell stories audibly but no that's a little bit much for for me personally yeah. but yeah and someone was like oh okay they looked at my instagram and they're like oh you do put pictures of yourself and i'm like yeah it's like i'm a real person and i want people to know that mm-hmm. um so i don't know if they felt a type of way about that but um it didn't stop them from going out with me so yeah uh there was a point in time where i was considering uh, only interviewing people who were willing to put themselves uh, out there uh, in a, at least at the level of being willing to um, like share a picture or share the podcast was like the bare minimum because I almost felt like I was perpetuating stigma by keeping people private. And that was something that I struggled with for a long time in my advocacy because a lot of the useful information that's gotten me to the point where I am now is through these 
conversations with people who have lived experiences and these private conversations via DM are so useful to the world. And there are so many conversations that I just cannot share because I wasn't given consent to, even if I uh, posted anonymously. So all of the screenshots that are on my page have been shared with consent, of course, but I can't tell you how many times I've had to go back and delete a podcast episode because someone was afraid of their voice being recognized by someone who found this podcast and they'd be able to put it together. Uh, how many people have unfollowed me or don't follow me at all, but just regularly like check into the content and you know, just having to go back and delete such great, useful information, considering we are the resource has been something that uh, it, it it just makes me feel as if we're taking steps backwards from a person's progress. And I understand like everyone's at their own place with it. And I had to kind of go uh, and reflect to myself, is it more important that this be done or is it more important that this be done my way? And I'm curious to know if you've had any similar challenges with the way that you present the information and the way that you advocate. Yeah, for sure. Well, first of all, I want to say that I do think it is more important that the work be done, point blank, because even people hearing anonymous stories does give them a little bit more than hearing nothing. Um so, yeah, and if anyone listening is like, oh, I've listened to a few episodes of Positively Positive, who the fuck is Sarah? I started my podcast two months into my diagnosis. I was putting shit online for the world, and I was not ready to have my name out there publicly. I, like, went by the name Sam, and even the name Sam, because that's, like, when I, the first thing I did was join Facebook support groups. And I was so fucking paranoid that I was like, let me pick a gender neutral name so no one will even know if I'm a boy or a girl. Like, I've been through it. I, I get it. And then I, you know, and I was always upfront about that in my podcast. I make it very clear that I'm going by Sam and it's not my real name. Every episode I remind people of that until it breaks, um, until I'm like, yo, what's up? I'm Sarah. I'm Canadian, blah, blah, blah. Um, but... I, I love that. I think that might be my favorite moment of my podcast. So listen all the way through if you haven't, guys. But no, I get it. It is it is scary at first. And at, at the beginning when it's all hitting you and it's overwhelming you and it's this like perfectly upright learning curve, it makes sense. And I don't think we should be ashamed of that. Um, I do hope that everyone grows out of that stage because secrets will kill you. I've said that to people like in DMs, uh, everything on my page, whatever. Secrets will kill you. And you're not protecting other people. You're not even protecting your... Okay, wait, this is a an asterisk is going to be on this statement. But you're not even protecting yourself by keeping secrets because you are just rotting your heart and your mind by being so ashamed and keeping something secret. And the asterisk is, like, if you're actually in danger and people are, like, being real assholes about it, like, obviously keep yourself safe. Um, I think everyone who listens knows that. And if you're in that situation, my heart goes out to you. And hopefully you can get out of it, reach out for help. But, yeah, secrets will rot you from the inside out and just make your life worse. So I hope everyone can grow out of the anonymity stage. And that's not saying everyone has to be public. It's just, like with partners and with friends and family like not lying about it 
if people bring it up, it's like, oh, yeah, I know about that. Yada, yada. It's it's fine. It's really common is what it is. Yeah. Your advocacy and how, how long have you been hosting the Positively Positive podcast now? January 2020 is when I released the first few episodes. All right. So it's been going on two years. Wow. That's, mm-hmm. that's wild. So yeah. have you found that there has been either a separation of identity between Sarah and who was Sam slash Positively Positive podcast host? Uh, or do you feel as if doing that kind of brought in an aspect of yourself that you like and you wanted to integrate into your whole personality altogether? I feel like it, I feel like my podcast, like, was just like a blooming flower, like, I, of my identity. Like, I have always been creative I've always liked nitpicking details so creating something so organized and so me it it helped it actually helped me find myself again after I felt like everything had been cracked and broken um for those first few weeks so it actually like it helped me clarify everything it helped me find my personality again I don't think it was a new aspect of my personality I think it was just something that had been stomped on and I had to take the boot off and let it grow again. Yeah. So what I heard in that, and I want to just kind of share what I think I heard and you can shake your head. Yes or no. Was that it was through this willingness to explore something within you that needed to come out and you discovered something through that and you were able to express it and I love your analogy about the blooming flower because essentially you going through the process of uh, creating is how those roots began to grow and the the nourishing of the soil that you planted your seed in and continuous uh, effort and discipline and commitment and consistency were what watered this little area that you began to lay claim to and bam now you've got this beautiful thing for not only yourself to have become and expressed but for others to be able to find and appreciate and experience as well yeah and I think that the main point of that is that all of that good stuff it was already in me and I just had to remember that that's the key I think it wasn't something new. It was something that was already there. Yeah. I'm so excited for that because that was really good. I, I really love that visual and the explanation there. So nothing changed about you. You just began to discover your own value, your own self, your identities and all these aspects of you. You, you got to see what you were capable of. Yeah. And I think I, I will say that things did change. My communication changed, my empathy changed, um, and my sexual agency changed. So I will say that those things, and even, yeah, they changed. They, They upgraded. Like, I had all those things, but they are now upgraded and, like, I don't know, third evolution Pokemon. Like, they're good. Well, maybe there's another stage. Hopefully there is, because I want to keep going, but they're definitely, um, stronger aspects of my life and my 
personality and the way I go about relationships and stuff. Yeah. So I think that that was a message, and I know I've seen it debated online, is like herpes doesn't change you. Herpes, like I said, all those like creative things and that those positive things that came out of it, those were in me. But also, herpes can change you if you don't decide to do anything about it. If you don't ask for help, that can change you for a negative way. Or you can step up and let it change you in a positive way. Say, so, no, I've I've really like took to heart some comments from me like, people saying herpes doesn't change you is a lie. And I'm like, I can't, like I see both sides of it and I, I think both sides of it are true. But the key, I think, is that you get to decide how it's going to change you. Yeah. So it's your responsibility. No one's coming to save you. It's you. So you have that power. Yeah. It's reminding people that they have a choice. And I think that before a vulnerable or invalidating uh, experience to your identity, uh, we may not recognize the ease of life and how... Uh, smooth how well we have it like you got it real good uh, not having to be conscious about your behaviors and I think that with something like a herpes diagnosis there comes this moment where now you have to consciously engage with something that otherwise you wouldn't have had to if it wasn't there so herpes coming into play uh, influencing your sexual identity now influences the way that you have to show up sexually as a person of ethics or not a person of ethics and what I mean by that is all right now do I disclose do I not disclose now it's do I communicate do I not communicate how do I go about communicating what's important to me and you begin to really see who you are and identify your values and that's where you kind of come into a more conscious space of just being a person and showing up not just for yourself but also in your relationship so we are speaking here to herpes in a way that it is interchangeably with any adversity that challenges one's identity and it's through that that we have this nourishment of the blooming flower analogy that you gave earlier which oh my god is so beautiful and uh yeah we take that and we turn it into something that serves us into developing into ourselves and i love a good garden analogy so i just want to elaborate on that it's so funny if someone i dm with is listening you're gonna be like here she goes with her goddamn garden analogies because i always use them but i think of it as like yeah okay so you've got a water that's you've got to take care of it when like you said any adversity challenges who you think you are or what you think you know about the world whatever it is but think of it like a perennial. I, God, I hope that's the word for like a flower that blooms every year. Oh, I thought even you if said, you don't. I thought you said perennial. I was like, what's that got no. to do with it? <laughs> <laughs> no, so a perennial. Um, so you plant it once, you grow that seed once, and then you let it be. You don't have to go back to it every year. The you know, the rain will water it. It will do its thing on its own. And I think that is like where I'm at in my herpes journey, quote unquote. It's like, okay, I worked on that seed. I grew that plant. It flourished, flourished, whatever. It flourished. It was a flower. And now it's there. It's in the garden. I don't have to obsess over it anymore. It's going to bloom again 
is good, is part of my life, like, it's fine. It's over there, and it's chill. It's my garden, but, like, I don't need to obsess over it anymore. Mm. That's that's beautiful, because uh, I, I process this in therapy. This was actually very recent. Um, I recognized... Uh, I began therapy around the time you started your podcast, actually. Yeah, a little bit after. So I started therapy in 2020. And in my first session, my therapist said to me, I don't think you dealt with your herpes diagnosis. And I, oh, like, I remember you saying that in yeah. a previous episode. I was like, ah, Courtney's being called out. Yeah, he got me. He got me good. And I didn't realize it until recently. And uh, I shared this on my ugh, episode 202 for the whole story i'm not going to go into the entire story but i had a recent experience with rejection that triggered me into my first herpes disclosure where i wasn't rejected immediately like we moved forward and then there came a point where rejection happened and it was like i never want to feel this again and then fast forward to now and i have this entire podcasts, nonprofit, social media following, communities that I'm involved with. And it's like, all right, I am officially immune to experiencing rejection because my if you Google my name, that's the first thing that comes up is Courtney has herpes. And that has been like sort of this wall of avoidance to an extent. And this was something that I reflected on and that that may not be the case, but it's something to entertain. Um, but the way that I was triggered by a rejection that reminded me of that first one really made me sit with and think about that. And I was just like, damn, what this did this whole thing just kind of become born out of an avoidance or a fear of rejection. And uh, my therapist and I were working on like going a lot deeper into that. But for where I am now, it feels good to hear you say, all right, I put this thing out there. It's there. People can come get it and take what they need from it. And I recognize that a lot of my identity has been associated with that to the point where it's like, all right, if anyone wants to be intimate with me, they'll see this, they'll know, and they'll either walk away because they're not okay with it, or they'll come closer with curiosity, or they also have it too. So I'm at a point now where I'm able to not necessarily disengage from my identity as the host of founder of something positive for positive people, but to where I'm able to integrate uh, those aspects and accept that that is an extension of who Courtney is. And yeah, there's no there's no way of being immune to rejection either. And like you shared, um, as you stepped into your career that you were going to experience rejection like that was the foundation of your resilience you were taught right then and there hey this is gonna happen and it's gonna make you a much more resilient person so you on a regular basis had to face rejection in your day-to-day life far long before you even received your herpes diagnosis and before you even got to this point of uh having to navigate it at a more personal level so kudos to you first off but i want to see what you have to say that listeners can take away from that experience of the foundation of your resilience being around your rejection in your career your day-to-day life your income is tied to rejection (laughs) yeah unfortunately um I mean, I don't know what else, what else there is to say. It it doesn't kill you. Like it's it's not that deep. I don't think. Like rejection doesn't kill you. You gotta move on. 
I wish I could. I wish I could just make that the title, but we said so many things, and I want to <laughs> make sure that I, it's like, not that deep. I think that's a a great title. <laughs> you telling me that we can't play on the positively positive something positive? Like the 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 positives are just too easy for us <laughs> to not just use in some way. Maybe I'll put it in the subtitle. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's not that deep. Being positively positive when you're a positive person, positive, positive, like, bruh, it's not that deep. <laughs> let's stop. Let's stop psychoanalyzing uh, it. Because that's what we do with our diagnosis at first, right? Yeah. Like, stop that. It's not that deep. And I want to You're going to get rejected. You're going to move on. You got herpes. You're going to deal with outbreaks. That's it. And I want to invite people to challenge themselves on this. Like, if it wasn't herpes, what else would it be? If you just sit and meditate and remove the fact that you have a herpes diagnosis what else is there for you to work through can you work through that thing because while a diagnosis at this point in time at least there's nothing we can do about it except for take better care of our health and is that a bad thing is it bad that we now have to open up perhaps initiate dialogue with sexual partners around uh, how to be intimate with one another and talk about not just safety, but desires as well. Like how can we best be with one another to have the best experiences that we can have? So I want to challenge people who are listening here to look at other ways of, uh, other ways of challenging yourself. Look at other ways of expressing and experiencing your own identity outside of who you have become or who you were, or who you are, as it relates to your sexual identity. Yeah, and I think just the simple question, why, when we ask ourselves that, is really powerful. Oh, I'm upset. Why? Because I got diagnosed with herpes. Why does that make you upset? Because I won't be able to have sex again. Why does that make you upset? Well, because that's all I have to offer. Why? Why is that all you have to offer? And I think, if, I genuinely believe that if you ask yourself why enough times and answer honestly, you that will help you get to the root of what an SCI diagnosis is pulling up for you. All right, so this is clearly going to be "It's not that deep" or "Ask yourself why" as the title. We we got that's a that's a that's a very powerful takeaway from here, and I want to make sure to emphasize that at the very least in the show description for this episode. Um, I wanted to make space for sure to talk about what we discussed in our message uh, with one another about like where you are now in your advocacy and um, being able to just live as Sarah yeah uh where I am now is my favorite thing always has been oh god hopefully this doesn't flood my inbox but like talking to people one-on-one where you actually know I'm a real human you need you know the Facebook the Instagram posts are great and please everyone search mine before you DM me but like I talk to people one-on-one just because I'm not posting I'm answering emails I am talking to people in the dms and like i've you know i mentioned i work in the arts just this morning i saw something really fucking cool that some collaborators and i have been working on one working on it a hell of a lot harder than me and like we're behind the scenes but we are working on shit we want media representation so like 
just because I'm not posting doesn't mean that I'm not still out here like a champion for people who aren't ready to use their voice yet. And also, like, I don't define myself as an advocate. I define myself who did something because I felt like fucking doing it because I thought people needed it and it helped me too. Like, and I'm Sarah and I do all these other things and I happen to have herpes. Like, that's it. Oh, I wanted to make sure that was it. You didn't move the mic. Normally when you're done talking, you move the mic away from your face. <laughs> so I was going to sit here and wait for it. Or when you're coughing. <laughs> yeah, I'm sick, everyone. And you did so well. No one would have known if you didn't say it. <laughs> um, I want to. Oh, when you were just speaking, you just kind of gave me this idea. So for the platforms that you have, are you paying out of pocket for those? I'm paying for the website. So if you buy me a coffee, if you donate on PayPal, that's where it goes. Because, um, yeah, that is where my money that I get from the podcast, which isn't a lot. So calm down, people. I'm not loaded in podcast money. I don't think anyone is. But, um, yeah, so that's where I send donations. Um, yeah, they go to hosting the website because I am proud of it. It's a lot of things all in one, very organized. Um, lots of testing information and med information. If you need meds, if your doctor is a dickhead, go to my website you can easily access meds online so i do want that to stay up i actually was thinking about that this morning i'm like oh god like the renewal is gonna come up like <laughs> how badly do i want this online and the thing is i do want it online i really do um but there are costs to that so support your support your people that you like people yeah i can't tell you how many times that's crossed my mind i was like man do i really want to do this nonprofit shit because the website is i believe uh like 270 a year yeah and then there's the of course it's the time but like I've, i've had the time and then like to keep nonprofit status if you don't make more than $50,000 a year, which is like so far beyond my range of perspective, then you have to pay $200 and basically check this box and send it into the uh, IRS. Is there, what's the Canadian IRS? Um, the, the CRA, Canada Revenue Agency. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Damn. That's, that's a close, but internal revenue service and then Canadian Revenue Agency. CRA, Canada Revenue Agency, yeah. Okay, yeah, so I think about that shit all the time, but fortunately, um, we receive enough donations to keep the bare minimum of everything going, and um, I've suspended the whole paying for people to get therapy for now, because I wasn't able to get funding in time for uh, the continuation of the nonprofit, the podcast, or the podcast interviews to take place, but... I mean, we can still do the work like we can still do the things that we can do and have to offer. And so part of um, my uh, part of my working in doing more, giving more is uplifting more resources that also offer different forms of identity validation outside of something positive for positive people. So while I'm today a 33 year old cisgendered heterosexual black man upper lower class able-bodied all of those things it may help for someone to hear from someone who has the kind of career that you have who presents physically as you do who may not be triggered by the voice of a man 
all of these things. So um, I support you and I'm hoping that people listening to this are willing and wanting and able to support you as well. Um, and continuing to just leave that resource up because I mean, it's timeless information until it becomes irrelevant if there's a cure, a vaccine or something like that. But even then, like the content, if you remove herpes from the dialogue, you still have a story of someone going through a healing process for themselves to become more of a whole human and see themselves in a way that perhaps they haven't seen themselves before or that they felt impossible to see themselves just given the invalidation of identity uh, through something such as a herpes diagnosis. So uh, thank you. I love you. I'm so happy that you've been as consistent as you have been. I'm thankful for uh, the development of our ongoing relationship with one another, especially just in this space of helping people. Yeah, I mean, ditto, right back at ya. All right, and I hope you get better soon. Uh, how can people connect with you? How can people find you? Just Google Positively Positive Podcast. That is the website. That is my Gmail. That is my Instagram. And that's what you can search on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen. All right, Sarah, thank you so much for your time. Thanks, Courtney. That concludes this episode of Something Positive for Positive People. Please like, rate, review, subscribe to, share this podcast. If you are someone who is facing any sort of mental health challenge or sexuality, sexual health challenge, then I would love to hear from you. I am looking for guests because, again, you know, the theme here moving forward is that sexual health is mental health. And I want to highlight not just the experts in the field of mental health and sex education, but I also wanted to hear from people who have lived experiences navigating both. This is a space of identity validation, which I believe to be something that minimizes the symptoms of burnout, helps people live uh, happy-ish lives, especially considering how challenging that can be. And I want to do so in a way that people all have access to. We look at self-care resources and they tend to revolve around luxuries. The consumption of a podcast, obviously you need some sort of device to listen on and you need some form of an internet connection. I think that these are two things that are more accessible than a lot of um, barriers to getting good information that we're trying to provide here. So um, by supporting us, supporting this show, you are supporting the ongoing development of other humans coming into who they are and being able to find identity care resources that work for them. Till next time, stay sex. And when I say sex, that's inclusive to mental health, positive.